This is the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. I'm going to zap her again. Charge up the paddles. Come on, let's go, let's go. Sorry, Doctor. Hold the compressions. Clear. Straight line. Good evening and welcome to Rock and Roll Autopsy. It's the Forensic Files on your radio dial. My name is Scott. And this is Rico. And have we got a show for you tonight. We have a ringing telephone. Yep. Request line, baby. The request line. Who do you think that is tonight? Okay, east of the Rockies, you're on WRNRA. How you doing, Oh my gosh, Paul Stanley. Paul's in the house. Welcome oh to my the show, God. Paul. That is unbelievable. How you doing, We're doing great, Paul. Oh my gosh, you're a hero of mine. How dude. are you? The question is, how are you doing? How you doing, people? Oh, oh my gosh, awesome. I am starstruck. Um, um, I don't know what to say, Paul. Are you going to do a, the autopsy with us tonight? How you doing, Paul? Do you have anything else you want to say? You know, I heard he was. I heard Paul's been having voice problems, but he seems to I be mean, like, now we know why. You know, he did say that he did have throat surgery later yeah. on in order to maintain his range, and now we know why. You yeah, you got to quit yelling like that, bro. You're going to hurt yourself. Hey, Paul, do, you got any song that you'd like us to do tonight yeah, it, for our rock and roll outside? Yeah, what do you think, man? You oh, great choice. Awesome. Let's do a whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin. See ya, Paul. Man, that was terrific. That's one of my heroes, dude. I know. I can't believe he showed up today. That's pretty pretty awesome. Dude. That is awesome. And we will do Led Zeppelin. Whole lot of love. But first, the news. What is this garbage you're watching? I want to watch the news. This is the news. All right, May 15th, 1976, the Rolling Stones album, Black and Blue, goes to number one in America. Rico, what do you know about this record? Not much. Me neither. Can I tell you, (laughs) this is a record that, for me, slips through the cracks, man. It's right after what? It's right after Only Rock and Roll. And I took a look at the track listing on Wiki, and I don't really know any of these songs. (laughs) Are you surprised? I guess my question is, are you surprised that it took until 1976 for a Stones album to get that high in the Billboard? Are you surprised about that? I don't know, man. I mean, that's that's. Like, Does that taint their legacy if you look at it a certain way? Is that the first number one? Oh, um, it just says it goes number one. Okay, my bad. I mean, I don't know, dude. I'm not going to lie. I don't know much about this record. I love the Stones, but this is just one I don't know. I don't really have anything to say Boy, about Boy, this news item sucks, dude. Yeah, Who the hell picked that news item? I have, I have nothing to add. Where's our, re- where's our research department? Well, I think it's it. that intern we hired. Jesus Christ. Hey, we might need a new intern. 
Yeah, I knew nothing about Black and Blue by the Rolling Stones, but it's our first news item of the night. Chew on that, good listeners. <laughs> yeah, and spit it right back out quickly. All right, May 16th, year 2000, with his Warner Brothers contract terminated, Prince starts using that name again. He changed it to an unpronounceable symbol in 1993 after a dispute with the label. How about that? So for seven years, he wasn't Prince because of contract dispute yeah i mean this is a thing man you don't know but like behind the scenes weird shit going on you know we talked about the misfits last week there was an article on metal sucks by a guy i think it was uh, dx ferris who wrote that you know that this whole reason why they had a reunion was just to settle a contractual issue you know we see albums that get released just to satisfy contractual issues it doesn't surprise me yeah, so um, did Prince, you know how the big thing with pro athletes is they got to have their logo and shit. Did, was everybody taking a cue from Prince? Was Did Prince, was Prince that much of a visionary that he had his own branding with a logo be, and then all these guys just jumped on board? But here's the thing. Wasn't it like not a successful brand? Didn't everyone just kind of think, oh, brother, we got to call him an unpronounceable symbol. Yeah, it was awkward, right? Yeah, no one liked it. We just thought of him as Prince. It was ridiculous. Maybe that was the point, though. Maybe he was just like pissing in everybody's cornflakes on purpose by saying, good, here it is. Try and figure me out. He was always kind of mysterious like that anyways, right? So wasn't the symbol just kind of... um, indicative of the type of persona that he was trying to portray to his fans i'm gonna go by an unpronounceable symbol i'm gonna be the shocker from now on (laughs) you know that symbol with like the two fingers and then the (laughs) so i'm no longer gonna go by scott it's just gonna be the The shocker symbol yeah yeah what is it two in the pink one in the the stink That's just going to be, don't even call me Scott. That's just going to be what my name is. I'm going to try to draw that little symbol. Like when I'm signing, like, you know, an important document. (laughs) When you're at work, you got to change your signature to a shocker logo. (laughs) I think your boss will like that. I don't even know if he'd get it, but it doesn't matter. No one got Prince's symbol either. It's just going to, I'm just going to be that. So. It could be like an Easter egg. You know, they might not know it, but then those who f- know it are kind of like in the club, like the Junto, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Why two in the pink, one in the stink? Could you invert it? Like, if you were, what if you were, like, dyslexic? Would you put, <laughs> would it be, like, two in the stink? <laughs> By the way, if anybody knows who the Junto is, you get bonus points. Oh, my goodness. Whose turn is it to read? All right, that, next, next one's you. Oh, my gosh. All right. (laughs) That was funny. All right. May 17th, 1995. Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, and Little Richard shared the stage for the first time ever at a concert in Sheffield, England. That's pretty fucking cool. But I'm willing to bet you're going to say, Scott, are you surprised it took until 1995? Precisely. That's like 40 years, right? Precisely. The 50s. That's that's why I put that in there, because it took them 40 years to play together. And what would that, I mean, listen. I mean, I would, the original Moondog Coronation Ball and all the shit, all the, the little kind of mini f- festivals that they did, they're called festivals now, right. but um, I'm surprised that they never played together before that. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. And I don't want to bag on these guys. I'm sure 
you know, Chuck Berry's got many, many songs, right? He's got... I saw him in person. I did you? you? Did yeah. you see him play? Yeah. I was at, you know, the, the Moondog Coronation Ball they did in Cleveland, like, way back when, yeah, I, yeah. when we were in high school? Yeah. I went, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, me and my neighbor and uh, my, uh, my mom, and we actually got there just at a good time. It was general admission, right? And mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what it was, but we had literally leaning front and center so chuck berry was the same distance from me to you it was amazing and actually my neighbor actually had his hand up and touched his guitar that's how close we were did chuck get pissy well it was an he accident could, you know oh it, it was an accident. It was he, could total be a little, accident he could be a little cranky he, that's true i heard about like stories about him not rehearsing Dude. with his with his band, you know, basically like refusing to rehearse or not showing up to rehearse. Right. And then he would just change the key of the song on stage live and then like berate the rest of the band if they weren't following his, you know, his lead. Why do you think he was doing that? I don't know, man. Just cranky old dude. But I was just going to say, I mean, when I think Chuck Berry, there's a hand, obviously you think Johnny B. Good, and there's a handful of other tracks you think of. There's signature song, Fats Domino. Come on, baby. Let's do, Let's the, do twist. the twist. And then Little Richard, what? There's a couple songs you think of, you know? Yeah, the theme from the Magic School Bus. No, again. not that uh, one. Like, you <laughs> know. Golly, Miss Molly. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, is the whole show like 25 minutes long? <laughs> Each one of them. Well, Chuck Berry had the most songs yes. by, by far. Yes. Fats Domino had that one, and uh, I, I found my thrill on Blueberry Hill. Yep. And, uh, I found my... Okay, I'll spare the listeners. They, they, that sounded more like, uh, what's his face? What a wonderful world. Yeah. Yep. What oh. the hell is that guy's name? Um, uh, Armstrong. Right? Uh, yeah, it sounded more... That was more Louis Armstrong. Yeah, hold Domino. on a second. Fats Domino had I've a I've seen babies cry. It actually sounds a little bit like uh, Kermit, like or no, um, like Grover. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> I've seen babies cry. <laughs> oh God! All right, do the last news right. item. We've completely digressed. In a good way. In uh, May eighteenth, nineteen sixty-four. The animals record the folk song House of the Rising Sun in a matter of minutes at a London studio. A few months later, it becomes a huge hit, going number one in both the UK and the US. Great song. Matter of minutes. So we hear this a lot where, hey, uh, the Beatles, I just saw today, the Beatles' first album was recorded in less than a day. This song was recorded in a matter of minutes. Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, she wrote the whole album in one week. Can you have that big of an inspiration and can you get in that big of a zone that you could pull something like that off? Or is that just a bunch of rigmarole? No, I think that's Bullshit. the way. Not, not only is that not rigmarole, that's the fucking way to do it, man. These bands, like, dude, I got a bag on Metallica again. My boys go in the studio. They don't come out for two years. Metallica. It's ridiculous. You know, you're overworking your material. You need to get in, do whatever you got to do. Let her rip and bang get the it fuck out, out. Capture the energy. If it's a little off, it's a little off. Yeah, you don't don't overthink it. Yeah, I totally believe that these bands wrote and recorded this stuff that fast. Totally believe that. Are you uh, bu- Black Sabbath? Like their first two records, they recorded like the each each one of them was like a twenty four hour session, you know, in the studio. So you're buying that? Like Did you? Are you buying that? Buying are, that. are you buying that? Um, Alanis Morissette wrote Jagged Little Pill in a Week. 
No, I mean, well, okay. Well, let's think about this. She was like a big shot up in uh, up in uh, the Canada, uh, the Canada, right? The in, country in, with in the, the syrup. In, yeah, in the Canada. In the Canada. <laughs> yeah, she was. She had like a career for years before we ever knew about her. Now, mind there, you, right? do you, are you listening to all the songs of Jagged Little Pill in your brain? So you know well, how many. Every fucking one of them. Every was a one hit. of them is a great. So that is a yeah. fantastic. And album. every one was a hit. Right. But I got to be honest with you, man. This is. I've never looked at the writing credits. Does she write the material? Yeah. I mean, I never looked at the writing credits. Does she have like a team of writers? Is I she think uh, I don't know that exactly, but I I saw and I read an article and she said that she wrote the whole fucking thing in a week. Well, so I guess she's writing it. Well, so, I can tell you what, man. Here's she the might have had like a co-writer, maybe, but I don't know the answer to that for sure. Maybe somebody out there knows. I that. know who that co-writer was. She was so pissed off at Dave Coulier from that's Full it House. dude no that's exactly that the it inspiration was there is that how you pronounce that dude's uh, last name yeah is that french uh um, dave Co- yeah that's precisely why she did what she she did. fell in love with that mulleted mm-hmm. motherfucker so hard she fell in love that, with the mullet yeah not the man that when that relationship went south she had that just poured out yeah. of her fucking what's the name of that song uh would she go down and you in the theater? Were yeah. you thinking of you me ought when you to, ought her? to know, right? Ought to, yeah, you ought to know. That that allegedly is about that dude. God, I'm singing a lot in this episode. Then there, what else was on that record? Ironic, uh, of course. Is, isn't it ironic is a fantastic dude. They're all great, man. But there was like a million hits on that record. But I just can't think. I'm of probably gonna hit that album like tomorrow or maybe tonight sometime. Not sure. Hey, good on you, Alanis Morissette. So for the Animals, fuck yeah, dude. Plus, the Animals were a great band. What was the name of that singer? Eric, uh, was it... Bor- what was his last name? Borg? I don't remember. Damn it. It's but not damn it. It's something. I don't know. I want to say Bourdain, but that's Anthony. That's Anthony I'm getting Bor- the wrong last name, and it's, that's what's in my Bourdain. head, and I can't get rid of it. <laughs> He's so. sung about food. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Go for it. Did you watch that dude when he was on TV? Bourdain? Yeah. No, but I wish I would have. Okay, when he died, like, I never watched a single episode of his shit ever. I barely knew. The one where he goes over to Europe and hits these little hole-in-the-wall cafes. But I'm, like, vaguely aware of who the man is. But when he died, it was, like, an outpouring of people who were just, like, who just loved him, loved his work. My sister, I remember, was in uh, Panama Beach talking to her about it, and she was, like... She just loved this guy in his show, and I was like, how did I miss this? No, he had this giant cult following that... This guy, this guy that I work with, he's like twenty four year old kid. He watches Bourdain reruns all the time. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's a thing, and like that's I mean that's just one of these like societal things that just completely just missed me. Like it just uh, came and went, and I didn't pay any attention to me it. either. I mean, and I now knew- I'm calling the, 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 the singer of the animals the guy's last name. <laughs> I can't think of his fucking name. <laughs> but all I'm trying to say is the guy's a great vocalist. But oh, for sure. Anyway, all right. So, hang in. We'll be right back after we take a quick break. I've been wearing minimalist shoes now for a little while, and honestly, I've tried a few different kinds and have had some varying results, but the ones that I'm wearing right now are from Zero with an X. That's X-E-R-O. They're based out of Denver, Colorado, and these shoes are absolutely amazing. The style I'm wearing right now are the Prio, but they have other styles depending on what kind of activity level you're doing, whether it's some heavy hiking or some road work, or if you just need some sandals for the beach. 
These shoes are incredibly put together. The soles come with a 5,000 mile guarantee. The uppers come with a Hirachi style strap. Uh, so if you need to snug the uppers up a little bit closer to your feet, it's very easy to do that without compromising the comfort. The toe box is nice and wide to allow your toes to spread out the way they're intended to instead of getting squished together like typical shoes do. And it doesn't look awkward either. These shoes are not only well put together, but they look amazing as well. They're fantastic. Um, they're honestly one of the most comfortable pairs of shoes I've ever owned. But please, do not take my word for it. Go to the website. It's zeroshoes.com. That's, again, with an X. That's X-E-R-O shoes.com forward slash go forward slash rnra affiliate that's our affiliate link do your own research again don't take my word for it look and see what they have if you like what you see and if you got yourself a pair you'd love them just as much as i do all right rico yeah man what's up we need reviews what is that? What does that mean? Well, it's like... What does that mean to us? Well, people who listen to our podcast, it would be swell um, if they would go to Apple Podcasts and write a review or go to Spotify and give us a star rating, something between one and five. It helps us. How do we know how bad we really are if people don't tell us? We need the feedback. And the algorithm loves it, and that algorithm is hungry. It needs it needs fed bad. You know what else needs fed bad? Your ego needs fed bad on this. Yeah, I that's need... why we really want the reviews. Let's face it, right? Go ahead. Oh yeah, I need. Listen, I get zero positive feedback in my life. People around me despise me, so I'm counting on total strangers to say nice things. Yeah, we, I guess the point is is to make your ego like completely non-manageable so that I want to stop doing this podcast. And people might be motivated to do that if they dislike the podcast. Right. If they want to see in like an intercompany battle between creative differences and how I can't stand how giant your ego is, all all we need is for those people to start giving us reviews and feedback. And that'll happen, guys. You'll you'll get some really good social media entertainment here it would be a backwards way for them to kill a podcast they hate by saying good things about it so that my ego would rage out of control exactly and you would storm off in a huff i think we all want that right i know i do so please do us a favor and give us some feedback we are gathered here to remember rock and roll Rock was born the rambunctious son of country, western, and blues. In the year of our Lord, 1955, on this day, the birth of rock and roll, gifted under the world a gyrating pelvis, a throbbing beat, and a pulsating rhythm, a sound so infectious and rollicking that it would endow previously scrupulous young minds with identity individualism and purpose, thus setting forth a multi-generational pursuit of all that is loud, debaucherous, and unholy. But, sadly, 
Like all earthly endeavors, rock too must perish. Oh, we mourn the loss of rock and roll with its ridiculously old standard bearers still on tour and charging ungodly amounts of mad jack to witness their long past the sell-by date asses on stage and with its chauvinism, misogyny and whiteness no longer aligning with modern sensibilities and with its aging, fist-shaking fan base kicking every would-be rocker off their proverbial lawn, rock has indeed passed into the celestial void. May rock rest in peace in eternal cacophonous slumber. Amen. Thank you for that, Scott. All right, welcome back. The Autopsy Report. All right, Whole lot of Love on November 7th, 1969, Whole lot of Love was released as a single in several countries with Living, Love, and Maid, She's Just a Woman, as B-Side in the U.S. Atlanta, Atlantic uh, provided an edited 3-minute and 12-second version as the flip side for radio stations. Billboard described the single as a powerful commercial swinger that should have no trouble putting Led Zeppelin up the Hot 100. Cashbox described it as a mixture of rock and blues with special production touches and a rousing lead vocal uh, performance. In the UK, Atlantic Records expected uh, expected to issue an edited version and pressed uh, initial copies for release on December 5th, 1969. But this was canceled by request for manager Peter Grant. So there you go. There's just a little, there's your autopsy report. All right, we are getting ready to perform our autopsy of rock and roll autopsy mm, on I can't wait. the Led Zeppelin classic, Whole Lot of Love. Can't wait. We've got five categories. They are gratuitous boomerism, boomerism. excessive misogyny, misogyny. wanton whiteness, Whitey. malignant machismo, Macho. and culture vulturism. Vulture! Rico, category one is gratuitous boomerism. How, sir, do you score a whole lot of love? Well, we have to be careful here because um, they are boomers. And if you go by just the lyrics, of course, it screams of boomerism, right? I mean, I have to give them a one simply because they're British boomers and there's no way you're ever going to get that out of their system no matter how hard you try. Um, no offense to my Brit coworker who is also a Brit boomer, but... Um, he stopped listening weeks ago. I know. He doesn't even care anymore, <laughs> um, except for this episode, uh, because he's a big Led Zeppelin fan. Shout out to you there. Uh, but anyways, no, it's a one for boomerism. It's What do you think? It's a big one. It's, for, for this sure. song came out in 1969, yo. Yeah, I mean this is a this is a classic boomer record, yep. you know. Um yeah, it's a big one. There's no debate about it. They're yeah. they're boomers. This is boomer music. It's a boomer band. 1969. Yeah, it's gratuitous boomerism. And by the way, I love the boomers. I was raised by boomers. So For I'm not sure. knocking boomers here. No, there's nothing wrong with boomers. Category 2. Excessive 
misogyny. All right. Now here's where it gets interesting. One would think that on the surface that you would that I would want to give them a one for excessive misogyny because just listen to the lyrics, right? I'm going to give you every inch of my love. You know what I mean? However, we have to look at when this song was released. What year was it released again, Scott? 1969. Right in the middle of what? I'm testing you now. Uh, The summer of love. The sexual revolution. So we were right smack dab in the middle of the sexual revolution in 1969 where anything goes, right? Any anything sexual goes. And so in my opinion, this is not misogynistic. And in fact, I'm gonna give them a zero for misogyny on this. I might even go negative one. I have to think about that. But When this song came out, we were smack dab in the sexual revolution, which made it really okay to talk like this to a girl. And if you listen to some of the other songs on the album, if you you listen to it in in concert with the rest of those others, like um, Thank You and some of the other ones, not misogynistic at all. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to give this one, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a zero. You need cooling, baby, I'm not fooling. I'm going to send you back to schooling. So she needs cooling. So is she like a radiator that's overheating somewhat? I mean, or does it mean cool like she needs to be cool? Maybe cooling means she's a little bit square to use that. Okay. And she needs cooling. Maybe she needs to loosen up a little bit. And be on her back with her legs in the air spread. That's one way to think of it, I suppose. And he's not fooling, so he means it. Right, he means it. I'm going to send you back to school. Right, he's going to teach her some things. Teach her a thing or two. Going to teach her a thing or two. Way down inside, honey, you need it. I'm going to give you my love. I'm going to give you my love. Yep. And then this last part, the I'm assuming this is ad-libbed here, where it's um, my, 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 oh, Shake for me, girl. I want to be your backdoor man. Hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh. Those are the important ones, right? Hey, there. oh, who wrote these? Sammy Hagar. <laughs> oh, 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 ooh, my, my baby. Keep a coolin', keep a coolin', keep a coolin'. Ah, now let's hold on. Coolin'. Hold on a second there. What do you think? Now, I'm tr- honestly, I'm trying to decipher this. Keep it, keep it coolin', baby. What is he getting at right there? Keep it seriously because I maybe I'm dumb. I mean, obviously there's I'm guessing it's some kind of sexual reference, right? I'm thinking that like back then it was just cool was used in the vernacular differently than it is today. Like famously, if you watch uh, what is it, the Stones at Aldemont, whenever the Hell's Angel dude stabs a guy in the audience, what's right. Mick Jagger say from the stage? What does he say? I don't know. He says, who's fighting and what for? <laughs> Everyone cool it, cool out, cool out. He's like pleading with the audience, you know? So maybe when he says keep it cool, maybe he means just keep, keep, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Keep it cool, baby. Like keep, like keep, uh, keep uh, re- being relaxed. Don't tighten up. Don't get, 
nervous. I don't know. Like, you see what I'm getting at? Like, I'm having trouble finding the words here. I think that the last bit that I that I, clearly is ad-libbed, all the ah, 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 clearly. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But I think that's the stuff that was like a bleed from a different take that I think Robert Plant was just scatting that Eddie Kramer and Paige just left in the final mix. That yeah, I'm going to just. A, yes. So I don't even think that was intentionally something that was. It was just kind of. Maybe he was just riffing, man. He was riffing. He was it was just, just bullshit. He was, you know, he. But honestly, OK, I haven't. Maybe he was yet. just shooting from the hip. I don't know. I shoot from the hip. Um, I haven't scored it yet, but I have a hard time giving it a one two. And I'll tell you why. Because. For one thing, these aren't even Robert Plant's words. Precisely. So I don't even know that You I don't can... know what I mean, again, they're they're this is a muddy water song. Yeah, so I can't really penalize him for that. It's Muddy Waters lyrics with Jimmy Page's music, so I can't yeah. really penalize him for that. No. no. And you know, so I'm gonna go ahead I'm gonna give it I'm gonna split the difference. I'm gonna give it a point five. Point five, okay. Fair enough. All right. Next category is wanton whiteness. Um, I'm giving this one, uh, honestly, like a full on negative one. <laughs> I, I think one of the, one of the cool things about Paige is at, at least early on in the career. I mean, for, I would say most of his career, he kind of sounded a lot like a black guy when he sang. And uh, I, plant. You mean, I mean, yep. plant, not yep. Paige, plant. That's what I, meant. I was going to say. You can make the same argument for Paige with his, with his playing. A little right. Bit. So, and, and they, <clears throat> they lifted a lot of their lifted a lot of their inspiration from from blues guys so which is very white of them to do that um (laughs) but um but they're they so i guess from that perspective it could be totally white how white how white of them to rip off really cool black guys and make it their own okay maybe i just changed my own mind not credit them until litigation decades later okay they had to drag their asses to court for writing credit yeah okay well then um man well how do you score this i talked myself out of the negative one (laughs) uh yeah i'm gonna give it a one I'm going to give it a Yeah, solid. I have to. How very how very how very white of them to rip off a bunch of cool black guys yeah. and make it their own. Nothing nothing okay. whiter than a little exploitation. Yeah, all right. All right. My bad on the negative. Category one. 4. And I can tell these listeners are on the edge of their seat. Yeah, they were with us. They're ever, waiting on baited with bated breath. Ever right. since we discussed black and blue. <laughs> With such depth and authority <laughs> on the subject. When I said when you said black and blue, and then you said I have no idea, they were like, "Click, I'm done." <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, why oh, am I shit. listening to this podcast? These idiots. Like, we're talking to, to a offer. bunch of crickets right now at this point in time. <laughs> oh goodness! All right, category four: malignant machismo. Um. Yeah, one. I mean, just the way he's delivering the lyrics, it's very macho delivery, even though the lyrics are kind of his, but not really. But it's a macho song. I mean, he kind of pulls back in some of the other songs on the album. He for sure pulls back. But this one, he doesn't. This so is gonna, we're talking about this song, not the other ones. So I'm going to go a one on this one. That's right. And I give it a one as well. And I will tell you why. It's interesting with Plant because you have a guy who becomes the prototype for the, you know, 80s metal singer that comes the next decade, right? Mm-hmm. 
rail thin, long blonde hair, high vocal. Maybe you know? a little androgynous, right? Right. And super high vocal, mm-hmm. which became a thing in the 80s. Yep. And it's funny because when you hear that high vocal, you don't think of macho, right? Because it's, it's essentially kind of effeminate, right? right? To be singing so high. That's right. But... He's thinking about sexual conquest, man. He's going to school this chick, dude. He's, I'm going to school you. I want to be your backdoor man. I'm going to give you her. every inch of my love. He's looked her over and he's assessed her situation. He's thought, you're square and I'm going to correct this. And I'm going to correct this by having you shake for me, baby. Baby, literally, I'm going to take your ass to school. And then right? I'm going to make orgasmic sounds for the last, like, throughout the entire middle of the song. Oh, we got to talk song but well it's we, just but we with, will talk about the middle it, of the song it's just filled with these orgasmic uh, uh, okay. yeah right <laughs> <laughs> should i do this my my wife upstairs would be like what are they doing down there <laughs> what are you taking a shit what, or something <laughs> is that what's is are these the sounds that robert plant is making No, he's not taking a dump. He's getting laid. I'm I'm literally watching Scott drop a deuce right in front of me. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, this is a guy singing about his sexual conquest. And let's not lie here. This is often the subject matter of blues songs where they're talking about, hey, lady. You know, I'm going to help you along by demonstrating my manhood. You know? uh, there's two subject matters they're of always blues bragging. songs, right? Either I'm going to take you to school or I'm miserable because of you. Right. It's I'm, one extreme or the other. There's I'm, no in between with that at all. Right. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to bang you. Ooh, nice. I'm I'm going to bang you like you never been banged before right. because no one bangs better than me. That's a that's a common blues thing. Exactly. And then the other one is I'm upset at you because you left me because I banged your sister. You left, <laughs> you 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 left me. How I, could you be angry? I gave you me? all my money and you left me for some other dude. Right, right. So it's one extreme or the other. So, so I'm scoring that a one as yeah, well. Yeah, me because too. Because it's regardless of the high vocal, this is pure sexual conquest. Sure it is. And Category now- five. Culture vultures. Vultures. Yeah. Um, How do you score, Rico? Uh, one hundred. Um, no, this is <laughs> no seriously for sure a plus one. Um, this song, as you mentioned, was a muddy water song. Uh, the lyrics that is riff or the riff was you know Jimmy Page came up with there. There's a little bit of little bit of question about where he developed the riff. Right. However, Did it just jam on stage during Dazed and Confused. Exactly right. Um, but the lyrics, Page, even admitted that he lifted them from a Muddy Water song. And in fact, I want to read the quote. Um, this is this is right from Plant. Page's riff was Page's riff. It was there before anything uh. else. I just thought, well, what am I going to sing? That was it. A Nick. Now happily paid for. At the time, there was a lot of conversation about what to do. It was decided that it was so far away in time and influenced that, well, you only get caught when you're successful. That's the game. Isn't that interesting? So let's think about this. 1969. I'm not sure what the date is on that Muddy Water song when he recorded it. I really don't care. But the, the point being is that 
we look back now and we think, oh my gosh, the 80s. 1962, was... by the way. Yeah, so, so it's like not it was that... so far back in time. <laughs> yeah, like f- five years. Yeah, we're t- meanwhile, we're talking about a record that came out in 69. It's 2022, right? right. So it, and it feels like, it, you know, and honestly, we've been hearing it our whole lives, but it doesn't feel that long, yeah. right? But it's a huge amount of time. And these guys are talking like, you know, whatever, a couple years later, and they're like, oh, it's an old song, who cares? But here's the thing. I'm scoring it. Obvious. It's an obvious one. I'm scoring out a one as well. And, you know, here's the funny thing is that I'm going to defend Led Zeppelin a little bit here because, and this is going to sound terrible and, and I'm just a, a moron, but it's funny with blues stuff because it almost feels like, oh God, the, I can't believe I'm going to say this. It almost feels like, you know, when you play a 12 bar blues, right? You hear it in a million songs. We all know it, right? Right. And it's just kind of public domain, right? But true. I mean, it's just a common thing. I don't know that it's legitimately public domain, but it just shows up. It's treated like that. Well, they're not getting hammered like, for lifting the twelve-bar blues. He's getting hammered for lifting the guy's lyrics. I know that, but I'm just making uh, a broader point about right, blues right. music. The twelve-bar blues shows up in like everything. That's true. You know, in every rock song, it's in a gazillion rock songs. It's in a gazillion blues songs. And nobody ever says, like, well, who came up with that? Where did that come from? You know, and the blues just in general has for it might not be right, but just broadly, it's all been treated as just like yeah. anything anybody yeah. can lift from. It's all been treated that but, way. I mean, the blues is shit. It's getting close to being 100 years old already. So yeah. shouldn't that be public domain? But but like this it, is but this is really close. These artists, a lot of these artists were still touring at this time. Whenever yeah, I mean, it wasn't even off. I mean, they well, they said he recorded it in 62, but still that song wasn't that old. And he's already lifting lyrics from a song right. that's not even 10 years old. But here's where I'll also defend him is that I've played in a couple bands that never went anywhere. And when you're with a group of guys and you're in a garage and you're jamming and someone comes up with a riff and you got some cat at a microphone who has no lyrics, you're making shit up on the spot. You'll pretty much do whatever just yeah. to kind of get a song going and to have a jam. So I could totally see them just jamming that riff and plant just like, you know, how am I going to, what am I going to do here to make this happen? And then he just starts spitting those words on it, you know, and then it just kind of sticks. And I can see where they talked about it. And like he says in that quote, we talked about it and just decided to leave it because, you know, who knows if anybody's ever going to call us on it. Right. And I thought that was kind of funny that he just flat out was like, yeah, we paid for it. You know, I guess shit yeah, happens, not until, right? Not until his, you know, the yeah. litigation came right. away. But he's like, sure, we did it. Fuck it. it. And it's like. <laughs> but it's not even an isolated incident. I mean, Led Zeppelin's done that with like a gazillion songs. Right. I mean, later on, they started citing their sources. Right. A after, little, after this one, you yeah. know, in subsequent albums. Yeah. But they did it on a ton of songs. Oh, for sure. A ton of records. And it wasn't until later when they started putting these credits on the sleeves. But I guess my point is, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that you should do it but i'm just saying there is a history of the blues kind of being treated as like public domain music for better or for worse and it's all throughout rock history i mean and and justifiably so the the blues is the the backbone of like 90 percent of our music country blues rock everything is all blues based whether you like it or not and so it ought to be in everything it ought to be that's Part, yeah, and, and the reality America. is the reason why copyrights expire is because you're supposed to, that's how innovation happens is you have to be able to build on existing work, right? Correct. What happens? You just fart. 
No, I heard some weird no- sound. I don't know where it, it was. It was like from. a squeaky noise. Yeah, I, I don't know what the hell like that a- was. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So, what's your total on this bad boy? Uh, well, before we total up, <clears throat> let's uh, kind of <clears throat> have our comment, final comments about this album because that middle section I want to talk about about this song. Yeah, about this song. Right, about the the middle section of the song. I did read um, Eddie Kramer was the engineer, right? And I think that okay. So you mentioned it first, so you go ahead. I, I have some thoughts, but I, I this you you started, so you go ahead. You go well, first. I can tell you that as a wee lad, one of my favorite things to do was because I'm a middle aged old fuck. Radio actually meant. Hey, Bolt, chill out, dude. That's my dog shaking. That's a collar sound. Um, <laughs> as as a middle aged cat, I grew up listening to radio, and one of my favorite things to do, especially when I was really young, like you know under 10 or whatever was I'd get a radio and the proverbial have it under your blankets listening to it in the middle of the night. And I can remember MMS playing this song at night and I would hear it. And it's just like, I mean, it just transfixed me because that middle section was so psychedelic and drugged out and just the panning from ear to ear. The panning's cool. I loved it, man. I mean, it was one of those things where I felt like I was, as a young kid, I felt like I was listening to something I shouldn't be listening to. Yeah. You know, it felt taboo. It felt druggy. And so it attracted me immediately. And I remember um, <clears throat> a few years later, reading in a magazine, it was like one of those lame, like hard rock magazines. I guess they weren't lame at the time, but Circus or Hit Parade or one of those magazines, they ranked like the top 100 hard rock and heavy metal song guitar solos of all time. You know what the number one guitar solo was? Whole lot of love. Yep, yep, that solo that you and I both know by heart, <laughs> um, that was the number one guitar solo of all time. And wow. It's very clear me, clearly to me when I hear it, it sounds like a one-take cut from Paige. You know, like he just blew it out in My one sister take. calls him the king of slop. Yeah, he's a <laughs> sloppy guitar player. And that's like... Um, but it is a rad solo. And I think a big part of what makes that solo is that interplay of bump, bump, and then it's, you know, the lead. Bump, mm-hmm. bump. You it's know, like a it, call and response, old, old-timey call and response yeah, kind of thing. an old-timey blues call Which and response. Which call and response yeah. is another, you know, thing that yep. came from another culture. And I don't know, um, I don't know, you know, whether or not Mutt Lang did this, but I've always contended that the long, drawn-out middle section of Def Leppard's Rocket was just an homage to the long, drawn-out middle section of Whole Lot of Love. Could you be. Know, all the weird sound oh, effects, yeah. all the weird vocal Makes stuff. Sense. And it was, Makes sense. And it's just a direct, you know, kind of tip of the cap. But I love this song, man. I think it's it could be my favorite Led Zeppelin song. I think it fucking rocks. I love the riff. I love the middle. I love the guitar solo. I love the vocal. This is one of my favorite. It might be my favorite Zeppelin. It's either this or Physical Graffiti. It might be my favorite Zeppelin album. I love every fucking track on this record. It's just a killer track, killer record. I, I love, love, love this song. I like this song. It's not my favorite one on the album. It's, it's um, in fact, I was going to ask you this. I don't like this as an opening track on this album. Oh. <sighs> 
I don't. I I would if it were me. Why? I would, because I, the middle. Yeah, because it doesn't fit with the rest of the album. The middle trippy part. I get it. Why it's they, a lot to digest in an opening track. Well, I get why they did the middle trippy part because remember we're still in the late sixties here and and bands were still doing trippy shit like pink think of pink floyd night in the late 60s oh yeah they they were doing all, a lot yeah, of their shit full on yeah. right all of it was like that yeah. so i get why they did the trippy shit but it just doesn't go with the rest of the album and i would not have put that as the first track i probably would have put that on side b i probably would have flip-flopped it with either I probably would have. Uh, um, yeah, living, loving, living, love, living, loving, made or heartbreaker. Yeah, I would have flip flopped it with one of those two. Yeah, I made see one of those point. two. The I mean, first one. It's a lot to ask the listener to digest that big middle part. But I think in your notes you had they had a single that was like a three minute cut of it, which I've never heard. They must, I, they must just lop out the yeah, entire me middle. But, but I, I dude, the engineering, the engineering's fantastic. I love the engineering, not only on this song, but on the entire album. The in, 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 For it to be 1969 and to have that good a production quality, I am fascinated but with the level of production quality on this album. It's amazing. I love it. Well, there's a great book I'd like to recommend to our listeners. Um, Brad, I think his last name is Tolinsky or Tolinitsky. I can't remember his last. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he used to be the editor of Guitar World magazine. Yeah. He's written a couple books. I got one of them laying over there, the Eruption book and Eddie Van Halen. He's got another one that I, I read called, I think it's called Light and Shade. And it's basically like all about Jimmy Page. And, and Jimmy Page, here's the deal. Maybe a sloppy guitarist, but he's a brilliant producer. And that's what made Led Zeppelin what they are, is that they had that secret weapon where they had a guy in the band who was a seasoned studio musician, played in the Yardbirds already. So he had touring experience. He was a session musician. He was a veteran already, and he was a producer. So he knew when he formed Led Zeppelin, he knew how he wanted that band to sound. And it took it took guitar from an instrument that was like a fuzz pedal instrument to a Marshall stack. For sure. Right. Yeah. And then it took drums. Think about the difference in how drums sounded before John Bonham. Exactly. Right? So like, Jimmy like Page, the toms were mic'd and everything was carefully mic'd. And cavernous to capture, and loud. Right, know? to capture everything. Yep. Like when they're doing Moby... I'm, now we're getting on the entire album, but... Well, like when you're doing Moby Dick, you can hear him flicking the toms with his fingers during right. the drum solo. Like, and you never, you never, you never heard that before then. Yep. And there was a lot of like production experimentation going on back then with the Beatles and Hendrix and Floyd and, you know, uh, pet sounds and all that stuff. But, but Page just took, it was, those were about experimenting with like layering sounds and multi-tracks and all that stuff. Right. But Page really focused on. The, the audiophile shit, getting a killer drum sound, getting a killer guitar sound, you know? I agree, man. And Stepping he, it up and he was, at least on this album, since this is the one we're talking about, this he did a fantastic job on this album. Yeah, and it just gets you. better as you go through yeah, their catalog. The whole, this is the second yeah, one. Exactly. And it's like funny when you think about it, this is 1969, yo. I, I know, mean, that's the thing. You that, haven't even cracked the 70s that's yet. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's what, like, I was listening to it today. And I, the whole time, I'm like, I can't believe this was in 1969. Like, yeah. the, the the audio production quality of this album is way ahead of its time. Yeah, and Paige was a badass. I mean, he still has all their tapes. And so, you know, there's, a, I mean, he's he was the guy, he's act as like the, um, 
what would you call it? Like he's the archivist, you know, he's the guy who's right. kind of maintained their legacy and kept them kind of relevant throughout the decades, even though they yeah. haven't been a functioning band in 40 years or whatever. So I think it's fascinating that everybody had a really cool role in this band. Um, but I, I would certainly, and again, every time I listen to this album, I think of this and I have, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. In my opinion, one of the, superheroes of this album is john paul jones he is oh yeah fucking amazing dude. oh yeah i mean he he if and we might do this and i might let a cat out of the bag with this but he is honestly dramatically underrated dude for, oh yeah. For, yeah, for, yeah, yeah for what he can do oh yeah i mean amazing he is the unsung hero of this album yeah i mean led zeppelin's he sounds fucking- fan fantastic like his bass tone and heartbreaker he's got this dirty meaty bass tone and heartbreaker that is just phenomenal i love I it mean, man it's an all-star band I mean, oh it's, my god it's an avenger style i mean everybody yeah. in it is a superhero exactly. I mean, they're a great great band all right let's let's tally it up before we go on too much longer yep. what's your score rico all right okay so i've got I've got uh, four points. And I've got 4.5. What's the total? Can you do some math for me? 6732 divided by 9 multiplied by pi r squared, 38. That would be eight and a half points. So I guess what we're saying is what? What? It's Dude, an accurate. It's an accurate assessment. This is highly remembered, ladies you can't and gentlemen. Get a, you cannot try this at home without adult supervision. You can't. We're we are messing with some fucking serious this scientific. This is highly bullshit here. scientifically done here. Listen, Guess what, man? It's an accurate assessment. Whole lot of love killed rock, dude. That's 1969. It's 2022. You can't you can't get away with doing the black man dirty like you that. You can't you can't steal from black men That's... and claim it as your own. You can't put trippy interludes when the rest of the album is 12 bar blues that it doesn't match. You can't do that. You killed rock and roll with this song. I'm sorry, it's not my opinion. This is science, guys. Sorry. All right, everyone. This has been Rock and Roll Autopsy. Go listen to Black and Blue. <laughs> Good night. Good night now. Let me have that special rock and roll music. Yeah. Let me tell you, so the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide. Get it out of your house, throw it out, and burn it. It has no place in the house of the righteous. Guys, it was like a mistake. There's no mistake anymore. To the dawn, love it till the morning. I'm gone. I'm gone. Follow us on Twitter at RNR Autopsy, or you can send an email to rock and roll autopsy at gmail.com. And if we run across anything good, we'll mention it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Later. Well, you know, that's just like. Uh, 
your opinion, man.